Look with me please, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin our reading in verse 11 and read through the remaining portion of this text. Not the entirety of the chapter, but through this portion, through verse 17. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, again we come before your throne of grace, and we, and we do so humbly, acknowledging that you are God, you are above all, there is none beside you, you alone are wholly set apart unto yourself. And so, Father, we are in awe of the truth of who you are, and for that cause, Lord, we stand in tremendous awe as well of the grace that is given unto us, the mercy that we have received, your provision you've made for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the truth of knowing that you have redeemed us, you have called us your children, made us to become your children, adopted us into your family. And we are now those who have been born again, now stand as not only the redeemed and believers, but we are espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day you will complete this work of making us into your bride. And so we rejoice in the truth of your goodness, of your grace, and of your mercy. And as we open the Word of God today, I pray, Father, that you would give us clarity of thought and understanding provided through the discernment of your Spirit, that we would grow, we would mature, we would appropriate the provision that's been made for us for the daily battles, for the daily fight, for this spiritual war which we find ourselves engaged each and every day. And may you be glorified and honored in and through your church. Now, Father, I pray that the very words of our mouth and the meditation of my heart, Father, would be pleasing in your sight. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Over the past few weeks, we have examined, those of you who have been with us, we've examined the beginning of Paul's conclusion to the epistle he's written to the Ephesians, and in which, this, in this conclusion, this portion of the text, Paul addresses the matter of spiritual warfare. And as I pointed out over the past few weeks, we are not fighting for victory. Our position in which we fight is not one that's for victory, but rather we stand and fight from the position of a victory. We have already been made victorious in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's statement, finally my brother, and as we've seen, is a means by which Paul is directing our attention back to all he has addressed within the previous chapters of this epistle. And so it's with this understanding, and that through the past weeks we have seen this to be true, that we recognize also the importance of this portion of Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian church. Verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We have observed from this portion of Paul's letter that we do not possess the strength necessary for this fight and that we are dependent upon God's power and His strength and His might, 
which He faithfully provides for us because of this, in the midst of this daily spiritual battle which we face and which we are engaged. Furthermore, last week I pointed out to you two truths concerning this warfare that are important for us to recognize and acknowledge regularly. First is the nature of this war. Verses 11 and 12, again we read, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I said to you last week, I'll remind you again, there are two major primary fronts on which this war takes place. And the first is that there are attacks from within. And we see this clarified in James 1, 13-15. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. And so James is reminding us, and he's informing us that we are not tempted alone from an outward uh, force, though that is true, but we sin because of the temptation, but not the temptation alone can bring us to sin. It is the lust within us, the sinful nature within us that gives way, yields to temptation, which therefore produces sin, which results ultimately in death. In Galatians five sixteen and 17, Paul also explained to us, This I say, then he said, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Notice it is the flesh which is attacking against the Spirit. And again, the context here is that we have a sinful fleshly nature, and that nature is attempting to take control and claim right to our physical bodies in which we live, that we might yield to sin and give in to sin, while the Spirit is opposed to that, and there's a conflict that is taking place because the Spirit of God, God has redeemed us by the Lord Jesus through the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we have the indwelling Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, and He has made rightful claim now through the redemption provided in Christ to our physical bodies. And that's what's being talked about here. So the Spirit, or the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. The flesh desires to take control of something to which it has no rightful claim, and that is your body. And this is a daily battle that goes on. This is the attack from within that we face constantly on a regular basis. Then there are second are attacks from without. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul here is not talking about the fight going on within us now. He's talking about the fight that is coming from without upon us. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Peter also declared... Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So we have an adversary, Satan himself, the devil, and we know that he, his attack, honestly, is not so much against us as it is against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, against the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we are identified in Christ, then of course we experience what it is to be engaged in that battle as well because our, our, our lot is with Him. We are with the Lord. He is in us he, and we are in Him. And so we fight and stand uh, upon this, this grounding of Christ and the foundation of the faith, of course. And so we understand that the attacks that take place, it's not about us personally. It's never been about us. It's about the gospel and about Christ, about the cause of Christ in which we stand. 
Then we see the purpose of this war, as we saw last week as well. Verses 12 and 13, again, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The world is full of spiritual darkness, and it stands in absolute opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while God is revealing his eternal redemptive plan through the power of God of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Satan, all, although he's already defeated, relentlessly continues to attempt to disrupt God's plan. This is a war that's already been won, and yet Satan's continually attempting to attack and disrupt, and so that's what we experience on a daily basis. Now, when one has a proper understanding of both the nature, as we've discovered, and purpose of this war, which we just explained and last week explained in much more detail, it is then much easier when we recognize these truths, acknowledge this, it's easier for us to also recognize the importance of the armor that God has provided us for this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. Yet prior to Paul's explanation of the armor itself, as we've read this morning, Paul provides instruction concerning appropriation of the armor and also provides explanation concerning the necessity for the armor. And so within this portion of Paul's exhortation concerning the spiritual attacks which we face, Paul emphasizes the importance of maintaining the position which God has given us by instructing the believer to stand. And Paul uses the word stand three times and uses the word withstand once within a four-verse span of this exhortation. In three verses, making up a total of four, verse 11, 13, and 14, and 12 being between 11 and 13, of course, we find that three times Paul says stand, and once he says withstand. In verse 11 he said, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, then verse 14, stand therefore. So, four mentions of standing in some degree are mentioned in these three verses. The word stand is still used militarily today. Men are to stand at attention. They are to stand their ground. They are to take a stand against the opposition and so on. While it is true that I have stated over the past several weeks that all believers are engaged in this spiritual warfare, we need to also acknowledge and recognize this truth that this is not a fight that we have to go find. This fight comes to us. The attack is continually present within us as we've discovered, but also the enemy is continually attacking the cause of Christ in which and for which we stand. And it's for this very reason that Paul exhorted the Ephesians in verse 11 and verse 12, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So Paul begins this portion of this letter, uh, this portion of the letter, which we are studying, with a command. And he says... Put on the whole armor of God. So let's look first at this command which Paul gives. Now, he says, put on. In the English grammar, this sentence includes what is referred to as an understood you as its subject. So Paul is literally saying, you put on the whole armor of God. He's making a direct statement to the Ephesian believers. He is saying, you must do this. You are instructed to do this. It is necessary that you do this. 
I'm afraid that much too often, this text of Scripture is presented, is read, it's understood as though it is either optional or as though it is foreign, if you will, to the average quote-unquote believer. But here the command is given, the instruction is given, you put on the whole armor of God. And this is not to be considered as though it's something that is to be just accessible upon occasion, nor is it, should this be something that is foreign to us. And I don't mean the text itself, I mean the appropriation of God's provision within the text. This is not something that we should look at as, well, sooner or later we'll be fighting a battle, sooner or later we'll be engaged in a war, sooner or later something's going to happen, and aren't you glad that God's made all this provision for us for when this takes place? But often, much too often, I'm afraid that's how this whole passage is viewed. As though things are good right now, so, but the time's coming where we're going to need to appropriate this provision. But that is not at all what Paul is teaching here. Paul is saying, you put on the whole armor of God. So in contrast to this mentality I've just mentioned, the statement put on, it means to dress or to clothe. And so Paul's instruction to put on this armor is in the imperative mood, which simply means it is a command. And due to the nature of the meaning of this command, put on, this command should be as natural for the believer to follow spiritually as it is for one to dress or clothe physically. Putting on here is not, again, this idea or this mentality that, well, here's this closet we have full of God's armor, and upon occasion we have to take some of the pieces out, and we need to kind of put on, suit up in the armor. No, this is a regular occasion. This is something that has been provided by God because the attack, as we've already discovered from the text, is on a consistent basis. In other words, let me say this to you, and you're going to see this as we conclude, hopefully, our study of this portion this morning of the Scripture, you will see this truth more so emphasized. But let me say it to you like this. It is imperative that we are standing in the truth of this provision on a regular, daily basis, not just something we view as though it's for occasional use. The armor should never be viewed as an accessory for the Christian in his life, but should be viewed as a necessity for the daily battle, just as clothing is necessary. And when we get to the pieces of armor, which we'll mention these as we've read them this morning, but we're not going to really delve into them in depth this morning, but we are going to mention them to help you to see the emphasis of what Paul is stating in our text this morning that we are studying. And in doing so, we'll have to agree, you will have to agree, if you are objective and you are looking at the truth of the Scriptures, considering the truth of the daily fight in which you are engaged and I am engaged in on a regular basis, then we must conclude that there is not one moment in our life that we don't need faith, that we don't need salvation, that we don't need the Word of God. Are you following now? See, this is not something we appropriate upon occasion. It is that which we are to appropriate daily. Because the need is daily. Because the attacks are daily. Because we face a real enemy daily. And because I live in this body, which also means my sinful flesh lives in this body daily. So this is a necessity. God's provision for the command He has given us. Second, put on the whole armor of God. 
God never gives us a command for which He has not made provision for His command to be fulfilled and followed. In this case, not only has God ultimately provided the victory through our Lord Jesus, as we've seen throughout Scripture, but He has also provided us the resources necessary to experience the reality of this victory amid the daily attacks made by the enemy in this life. Let me say it to you like this. In other words, if God had provided no means for us to experience right now the victory, we may seem to be defeated throughout our entire spiritual lives as followers of Christ, and in the end, guess what? We are still victorious. We still are in glory with the Lord. We have an eternity absent of sin. Are you following? So regardless, we are victorious. These provisions are made not so we can gain victory. That's the whole point. It's that we might daily experience the reality of the victory, which one day we will ultimately experience in eternity. So this isn't a means by which we gain a victory. It's the means by which God has made provision for us to daily experience the victory amid these attacks. One might question as to why the Lord would even allow such attacks to be experienced. I mean, so why does God even do this? Why doesn't God just save us, kill us, we're in eternity, right? Or why doesn't God just save us and then defeat the enemy all about us and let us live, live, let us live lives of ease and comfort in the sense of comfort in the sense of no problems, not comfort in the sense of being comforted because there are issues and problems and sin still present. So one might ask why? Why would the Lord even allow this to be? And although profound and foundational, or although the, the answer is profound and foundational to the Christian life, it's also rather simple. In reality, as I previously mentioned within this study, just as the Lord required the children of Israel to depend daily on Him to send manna in the wilderness to provide nourishment for them, the Lord also uses daily attacks we face from within and without uh, to remind us of our daily need to depend on Him. I mean, think about this for a moment. How arrogant and how proud would we all truly be if God just redeemed us and then made a life of ease without any struggles, without any, without any conflict, without any opposition, without any tribulation, without any trouble, if that were the case, we would be so condescending and so self-righteous. We would, because we'd look at ourselves as though we've accomplished something. Here's what we're reminded of in the daily fight. I am in constant need of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am in regular need of the grace of God. Yes, I'm redeemed and He is all-sufficient, but that sufficiency of Christ is being displayed and being demonstrated and being manifested and being made known on a regular, daily basis within my life. We see examples of this in Paul's testimony within his epistles. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of what... For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Let me explain something about this last verse. And you know this verse has been so greatly misused and abused and removed from its context entirely and totally. And the truth still remains nonetheless that we are empowered by Christ who dwells within us. And the emphasis of what Paul is stating in verse 13, summarizing everything, you could underline this in your Bible and you would not be wrong to do so to see this truth. Paul is saying in verse 11, I have learned. And then he says as well at the end of verse 11, to be content, and then the latter part of of verse 13, through Christ, which strengthens me. That is what Paul is saying here. He says, I have learned to be content through Christ. He's my strength. He's the one who strengthens me. The statement Paul uses when he says, put on the whole armor, the statement whole armor refers to every weapon, instrument, and tool. The Lord has provided a spiritual arsenal in reality for the battles we face. And since the battles we face are daily, again, it is imperative that we daily clothe ourselves fully in God's provision for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God. You put on the whole armor of God that ye or you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul now explains why this armor is a necessary provision which is needed daily. It's important we understand the grammar within this portion of the text to fully grasp the importance of Paul's exhortation in this verse. The phrase to stand is an infinitive or referred to as a verbal noun. And what that means is it's simply that it is a word that has characteristics of both a verb and a noun, yet is not a verb or a noun. And the use of this infinitive in this verse conveys, therefore, both a position and an action. So what you see is in this infinitive or this verbal noun, to stand, in making that statement, it's not a noun, it's not a verb, but it has characteristics of both a noun and a verb. And a noun is a person, place, or thing. A verb, of course, is an action or state of being. And so what you see here is a position to stand. A position, but also an action. So it contains both elements here. Paul's command to stand refers to this position, the noun, which we have, while also implying our responsibility to actively continue or maintain that position as a verb. In other words, we are called to task that we are to maintain the position we have been given. That's what's being stated here. Remember when Paul says in chapter 4, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, endeavoring our effort, we are striving to maintain, to keep means to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's not something we are producing, it's that which we are to maintain. We're not producing this stand. It's not just that we are taking a stand subjectively or on our own. We're not some rogue warriors here, or we're not some rogue agents, or we're not some maverick soldiers that are now just doing what we want to do. No, we have been given a position, and the command from our captain is that we maintain the position that's been provided. So it is a position given by God that we are instructed to maintain as followers of Christ. The noun wiles that is used here means schemes. So the devil is continually using all manners of schemes in an attempt 
to cause us to forsake the position in which we stand. Remember, the battle here is not about you, it's about the cause of Christ against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And again, as we saw last week, the intent of the enemy is to cause us to turn our eyes away from Christ, to not yield ourselves in submission to Him, but rather to do anything other than that. And he'll use whatever means necessary or available at his disposal to do so. And by the way, what means are are available to him? Well, look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Don't think for one moment that the enemy does not have means by which he attacks. And the enemy we face, as Paul mentions here in verse 12, is not a physical one. But we also must recognize when he makes this statement that that does not mean that the attacks do not manifest themselves in physical ways. We are not fighting a physical enemy. But yet, this spiritual enemy uses physical means by which he attacks. This enemy is a spiritual force with which to be reckoned, and he obtains spirit or has spiritual power that he uses. Satan is relentless in his attack against the cause of Christ and all those who stand therein. And he uses whatever means he can in an attempt to cause us to forsake, to cause us to abandon, to cause us to neglect the position we've been given in Christ. Can you imagine one moment what the church would be like today if it understood and lived in the truth of Ephesians chapters 1-3? through What would that look like? Well, chapters 4-6 through would be a demonstration of the understanding and embracing of the truth of chapters 1-3. through And those who understand this charge, this command, this instruction provided by Paul are living in the truth of the submission of Christ if they are yielding to these truths. So the enemy is out to cause us to forsake, abandon this position in which we stand. So then the question remains, what is this position in which we stand? So Paul says stand. And he, again, this, this infinitive is used, to stand, having done all to stand, stand therefore. So we are given this position, now we are commanded to maintain this position. And the question is, what is the position? What position is it that the enemy is so intent on having us abandon? We find the answer within the description of the armor listed within the remaining portion of this text. Now obviously there is much to consider regarding the armor that the following verses lists. This morning, however, we will simply take a moment, just a few moments here, to consider what is said concerning the armor regarding the stand which we take as followers of Christ. Now, we know we're talking about standing in the position provided by God in Jesus Christ as chapters 1 through 3 so clearly define. But we also know we're taking a stand in this position because there are attacks of the enemy coming against us, against the cause of the gospel and the cause of Christ. So what specifically is this stand in which we take? How do we view this in a practical sense? Because this is the practical portion of Paul's letter, is it not? First of all, I want you to notice with me that we stand in truth. Look at verse 14. 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. In the description of the very armor which Paul lists, which is the provision for us to take the stand, he also is explaining the stand which we take. So it's not, oh, I need to be all girded up in truth because I have to fight this battle. No, our our position is one of truth, and we stand in truth, and truth is victorious. And so we need to recognize that we are to embrace truth and stand, maintain truth. Second, we stand in righteousness. He goes on to verse 14. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now notice, he said, stand. Having done all to stand, you've given this, been given this position, therefore, act accordingly. Stand, therefore. You put on the whole armor of God, you stand, therefore. Because the provision has been made and the position has already been granted, has already been provided. So because of this, we stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. I am standing what? In truth. I am standing what? Having on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm standing in righteousness. Further on, verse 15, we stand in the gospel, the good news of God's peace. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I am standing in the peace of God, the good news of God's peace, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm standing in faith. Above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith. I am standing in faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. I am standing in salvation, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. But all this time, do all to stand. Stand therefore in the salvation. I am standing on the Word of God, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So God has given us a position in which we stand, and here's what we must recognize. The truth of God, the righteousness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith in Jesus Christ, meaning His faith, this salvation provided by God in Jesus Christ, and the Word of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word, and the revelation of the living Word, and the written Word. This is our victory in Jesus Christ. Because it is in Christ that all of these are discovered, that all these truths are realized. The command is that we put on God's provision that we might maintain the position of victory by God given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We stand therefore and you are commanded to stand. So let me say it to you like this. You put on the whole armor. You stand in truth. You stand in righteousness. You stand in the gospel, the good news of God's peace. You stand in faith. You stand in this great salvation. You stand on the word of God. Do not abandon, do not forfeit the position of victory which God has granted you in Jesus Christ. But simply let me conclude in saying this. Stand.